ready, AP? Ready when you are. Let's lay this baby down. Lofty, you on the guitar, mate. You right, Scope? Yep, standing by. Bertie, you on the bass? Yep, ready to go. All right, here we go then. One, two, three, four. Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting a harm. Before he never saw the hand, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get him, but the Lord never will. For casting away the only way they know how. With a little more mojo than the Lord will allow. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's show. If you are new, welcome. Good to have you on board the bus. This is the show that looks to find the best people anywhere in the globe. People we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their life. We talk to them and we extract from them what they do in their world that gets their mojo working so we can apply it to our world to get our mojo working. It's good to have you on board the big red bus that we have come to know as the Mojo Radio Show. Our driver, as always, behind the panel that makes us sound all good and proper-like. Uh, Robbo, you're excited, aren't you? I, I'm pumped for this week's show, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, any musical show gets my mojo going, you know that. And our automated studio assistant, it's a world first, Lola. Uh, hello, Lola. Hello, boys. Lola. Are you ready to rock? Could you play us a little Susie Q? How's this one? So come alive, come alive, down in Devil Beach So come alive, come alive, down in Devil Beach down in Devil Beach down in Devil Beach Now, AP, you'd be a guy who would love a little Susie Q being an old rocker. Oh, yeah, I remember Susie Quattro very well. Um, would have been about 1973. A bunch of um, uh, high school buddies were all hanging around at someone's house during uh, the summer break, I think, from memory. And um, someone had the single, uh, Can the Can. And we all sat around in there sitting room, as we used to call them, playing uh, records, and that was one of the records that uh, we all loved. Yes, it takes us back, my friend, doesn't it? So, folks, if you like what you hear on our show, there are two ways to let us know. Either share with a friend and help them get their mojo working, be of service to them, or drop us a little one-line review. Now, this does make a difference, and the reason being that the last couple of weeks we have found ourselves on the What's Hot list on iTunes. All this stuff helps. It's all because of you, the listener. It's the stuff you write as reviews. It's the sharing of the show. It's just being here with us. We don't get paid, sadly, for the show. But all that stuff that you do to help us know that you're out there and that what we're doing makes a difference, that's what gets our mojo working. So do us a favour, get onto iTunes, leave us just one line, throw us a bone. That'd be great. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, uh, just before we get on to our very special guest this week, Robbo, I found I found this interesting because you know how we hear about big, when you hear about Big Brother, what mm. comes to mind for you? Um, I think of a big, deep voice in dark rooms. This is Big Brother. The old TV show that went around for the, all those years. But don't you think about when, they, when people talk about Big Brother, mm. they talk about government or institutions Yeah, well, that's us? the other one. Yeah, absolutely. Chuck Polinick wrote this on the weekend, which I thought was really good. He said, old George Orwell got it backward. 
Big Brother isn't watching. He's singing and dancing. He's pulling rabbits out of a hat. Big Brother's busy holding your attention every moment you're awake. He's making sure you're always distracted. He's making sure you're fully absorbed. He's making sure your imagination withers until it's as useful as your appendix. (laughs) He's making sure your attention is always filled and is always being fed. It's worse than being watched. I read that and I thought, you know, that is such an intuitive piece of writing because we worry and talk about the government and these people watching us. But when you think about it, Big Brother is also what Stephen Pressfield talked about in The War of Art, which is the resistance, is all these things that keep us from doing what matters. It keeps us from taking the steps to achieve our dreams, to to get stuff done, to be more disciplined. I, now, Chuck Polinick, do you know who that is? Do you know that name? No, I don't. He wrote the award-winning novel Fight Club. Oh, what they made the movie out of. Hmm. So wow. he's, he's a novelist and a freelance journalist. So he's. Hang on, should we be talking about Fight Club? Isn't that rule number one? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm one coffee short of being on the ball today. I think you are a bit slow this Maybe morning. You can, you can, can you edit out those crickets? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Uh, have my moments. I just like that piece of writing. And I think the message for me, and this is something that I'm very bullish on of recent times, is. Start your day with what matters Mm. and edit out the stuff that is distracting you. Fight the resistance. Fight Big Brother that is trying to draw you away from what's most important to you. And uh, I think Chuck's got it right. I like that story and um, there you go. Good old Chuck, the Chuckinator. Chuckster. (laughs) Chuckster. I'm Anna DeVenna. I'm also known as the Sleep Muse. I help people get a great night's sleep. And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen to the Mojo radio show. And when they do, they fall asleep instantly. (laughs) I think it's fair to say, folks, that this week we are welcoming rock royalty to the Mojo radio show. Our guest this week is none other than female rock icon Susie Quattro. Now, Susie has sold over 55 million albums. This iconic American bass-playing vocalist is also known, this is how Robbo knows her, as Leather Tuscadero, who was in a very famous TV show back in the day called Happy Days with Henry Winkler and Ron Howard. Susie has got a new album, and I've got to say this will be a fascinating conversation because... We'll talk about her acting career, her music career, and how she's remained at the top of the game for so long. So without further ado, Susie Quattro, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gary, before we get going, I've got to tell you that Susie and I have something in common. Oh, here really? We go. What's what? that? Yeah, we're both Geminis, 3rd of June, oh 11th my gosh. of June. There you go. Oh, okay. So we're, so <laughs> so there's, we're, there's, uh, so we're connected. Well, there's, actually, okay. there's now actually officially five of us on this podcast. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, with with a Gemini, you've got five people there all by yourself. True. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> Susie, I just want to start. There's been a theme through our show for the last couple of years, and right. it's about identity. And I just want to start with something that Mike Chapman said to you. He said, this is going back a little ways, he said, there's a little yeah. bit of you in every female musician or performer. And at that time, he said, there's a little bit of Susie in all these female performers. What What is a Susie? <laughs> Good question. Um, well, I mean, Mike Chapman did say that, yes, and I take that as a great compliment. I think what he means is that before I did what I did, I became successful. There wasn't a blueprint for a female rock and roll musician. It didn't exist. And that's a fact. I didn't have any other girl that I could look at and say, that's her I want to be like. So I created the blueprint, right? So whatever I did was first, number one, first. Hadn't been done before, first one to do it. So I think what he means is everybody that came after that then had somebody to look to and to say, oh, look what she did and we can do that. That's what he means, I think, if I'm explaining it right. So what I am is I am a kind of like um, 
oh God, what's the word I would use? Mickey Mouse used to use it. A- a- asexual. Asexual, because it, it's sort of, it's because he said to me very early on, Mickey Most, he said to me that I would appeal to every gender and every variation mm-hmm. of that gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's what happened. Really, I think he was right, you know, so it didn't matter, gay or straight, male or female, it seems I went right across the board. I think that's what Mickey meant when he said that. And you once said to someone, I'm staying exactly me. When when do you recall the first time you knew exactly who you were and what and who you would stand for? Well, this is a, a kind of a long question. It's not as easy to answer as what you think. I have to go back to my uh, childhood. And uh, it's a very simple thing. You know, I, I come from, as you know, if you've done your research, I come from a very musical family and play instruments. And my father was a musician and blah, blah. So it was very much a Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, whatever the situation would be, we'd have a family show, you know. And uh, everybody would get up and play an instrument or do a sketch. or every, We always did stuff. We were always singing, playing, whatever we were doing. And I can recall being about eight or nine. And I remember it because I got up to do my little sketch, whatever it was going to be. And everybody in the room stopped and watched. And in my little head, what went into my head was, oh, I can hold an audience. So I think that was a, I think that was a key moment in my development as a performer. I remember watching everybody stop what they were doing, you know, because it's always a family thing. So everybody's talking, laughing, doing whatever. And the whole room stopped. So that kind of enforced in me the belief in myself as an entertainer, if that's not too long of an answer. No, it's interesting because I've heard you talk about that period of your life and the influences you had. And in fact, even before that time, you talk about seeing Ed Sullivan. I think you were five years old. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. Elvis. That's, that, yeah. That, that is a known story. That's um, And I, I was going to the entertainment part. Um, the original story, which I have talked about many times, was I was, it was 1956. I was five going on six. And um, it was the Ed Sullivan show, as, as you know, big, big show in America. Everybody watched it. Um, every family, every Sunday, sat down at eight o'clock and you didn't move till nine. And uh, my um, and, and it brought on Elvis for his first appearance. He was doing Don't Be Cruel. I always remember it. And my eldest sister, by nine years, she was 15. So she was the right age to be screaming, which indeed she started to do. And uh, I was looking at her wondering why she was screaming, because it's only five going on six. And then I got drawn into the TV set, big time, drawn into the TV set. And I had one of those light bulb moments. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do that in my life. I'm going to do that in my life. Don't ask me why I thought it. It doesn't make any sense so young whatsoever, but that's what happened. What I'm curious about, Susie, is I've heard you say that in your own mind you said, I'm going to be him. You were drawn to that Elvis character. To this day, is there Elvis in you? Do you carry an alter ego of Elvis all that time and even today when you still walk on stage? Is there an alter ego part of Elvis in you? That's a real good question. Well done. Um, I like it when somebody asks an intelligent question. Okay. Um, I would say yes. There is the part of that particular incident in me to this very day that never left. Whatever he implanted in me when I saw him, it stays with me. Absolutely. Um And when you say alter ego, uh, I can only say it this way. Um, when When I wrote my autobiography on Zipped, I wrote it in two people. And you as a Gemini will understand this. Um, I wrote it as Little Susie from Detroit and Susie Quattro. So although both people are me, one is not an invention. I'm very much Susie Quattro. There is a dividing line. um, And one is your private persona, if you like. And the other one is your professional persona. They're both me. Nothing's manufactured. But I do keep my sanity by having a division I don't take Susie Quattro off the stage into my private life. I try not to. Who am I talking to now then? Because I've heard you talk about, and I want to get into Susie from Detroit, but I also 
Kat, who's a wonderful publicist in here in Australia, said you could interview Susie Quattro. Who am I talking to now then? Who you're talking to now? Well, a little bit of both. Because if you <laughs> ask, because when, when you're talking about childhood and all that kind of stuff, then, then you're talking to little Susie because I'm remembering my childhood. But now if we start going into the album and I'm talking about the songs and this and that, then I will be talking as the artist. So there is definitely a division, but they do cross over. I mean, if you start asking me about particular songs and lyrics and all that, I will be answering you as the writer who wrote this, Mm -hmm. who felt this, who experienced this. So then it's it's all it's all crazy. But what I'm trying to say is, is I do I do need the division to to be sane. And and the the people that end up that in this business are the ones that didn't have that dividing line. So I try to keep that. Yeah. Okay. So who do you want to talk to? You want to talk to little Susie or Susie? <laughs> well, I was going to say, with all these people in this interview now, I better set up a few more microphones. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk to Susie Quattro for a moment about okay. the album. And okay, let's, let's talk do that. To, to Susie about No Soul, No Control, the first single. Um, now, the message, the message in that track, which we will play in a second, the message in that is, don't let go of yourself for anybody. And you've said that's part of your personal mantra, that all you have is this in this world is you. One of the lyrics in there, Susie, is I've got to hold on to me. Was there a time that you felt as though you were letting go of you? You know, I, I, that's, that's what the question is when I say that particular lyric, yes, and people have asked that. Um, I, I can say it this way. And it's been kind of my whole life. Um, I I am not somebody who uh, you can tell what to do or control. It's just not in my nature. But saying that, I will always listen to somebody who I have respect for, even if I don't agree on the face of it. I'll listen to the point of view if it's somebody I respect, take it in and then make my decision. But I'm not a controllable person. No, I, I have my own way. And even from very young, I think I think this attitude stems from, to, to be quite honest, now little Susie speaking now, um, when you come from a family of five people, uh, you know, kids, and you are within that unit, you're trying to find your voice. You're trying to find your voice always because for me, I didn't want to be part of a group. I wanted to be me. So finding my voice, when I finally found my voice, which was the entertainer, to be quite honest, um, I, I wouldn't let go of that for all the money in the world. That's what I mean. When I say I got a hold on to me, I do got a hold on to me. And I do say it again. It's the only thing you got in this world. If you let go of who you are to anybody or anything, you've lost yourself. And all you have is all you have is that little spark that makes you special. That's all any of us have, not just me, anybody. That little spark, whatever it may be, and let nobody take that away from you. Nobody. See, I get passionate about it when I talk about it. So that's that's what that song means. No song of control. You don't take me away from me. I love you to death, you know, whatever the situation is, but I keep me for me. It's your safety valve. <laughs> Susie, with, with not letting go of yourself, which is such a powerful lyric in that song, Thank how you. do you how do you manage the naysayers in your own mind? Because everybody everybody is has got a point of view when they look at Susie Quattro. How do you in your own mind, what's been your default for people who've tried to hold you back or take you away from who you really are? Um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stubborn about that. Uh, I just don't let it happen. I just don't let it happen. I I do not let anybody take me from me. I've been very strong on that my whole life. I can quote, um, Mickey most, right? Uh, Which I love quoting because he said this to me years ago when he first brought me to England and we got to know each other, maybe a year in and we were talking and he said it, I don't know who he was talking to because there was nobody else in the room. He said, nobody can tell Susie Quattro what to do. 
and I was just quiet. <laughs> and he said, and he said, but they can suggest. <laughs> okay. okay, that's that, that's a pretty good. That made me laugh. They can suggest. Yes, you can suggest. Sure. Like I said, if I and if I respect, if I respect, then of course I listen. There's not that many people who I would take uh, instruction from. My husband is one, one hundred percent, because I respect him. Mickey was another one, but this not my dad. I would listen to my mother. I would listen to. And uh, a couple of producers like Mike Chapman, if he had a certain opinion about a vocal, I trust him on that. You know, certain bits and pieces. But uh, basically, if if inside I don't agree with something, then I'm not going to do it. And mm-hmm. end of story. End of story. That's gold. I think that's gold, Robert. Not that Susie needs any more gold. No, I was going to say. <laughs> and and we, we're talking to a musician now, so it actually should be platinum. Platinum, platinum. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Susie, I, I, wanted to, I just want to... Tell a little story that gets your view on it. Something you just said was, and you were very firm, I don't let it happen. I don't let it happen. And it reminded me of a story of there is a country singer in America, a big big country singer, Toby Keith, bit of an outlaw, and he was playing golf with Clint Eastwood at a golf tournament that Clint puts on each year called The Clint. They're in the golf cart driving down the fairway and Toby said to Clint, it's your birthday tomorrow, what are you doing? And Clint said, I'm making a movie. And Toby said to him, how do you keep going? And Clint said, I just get up every morning and I don't let the old man in. And it reminds me of that view with how firm you were with, I just don't let it happen. There is no secret. You were born in 1950, 68 years old. Sure. And you're still going on stage. You're about to tour Australia for I think probably the 33rd time in your career, thereabouts. I think we're on 36, but go on, yeah. 36. (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. How do you view the ageing process, Susie? What is your take on that? Well, first of all, can I just say we, Clint Eastwood, guess what? He's a Gemini. Oh, <laughs> yes. There you go. So I, think maybe, I think maybe it's a Gemini attitude. There you um, go. I don't know. I had a review. I had a review last time I was here when we had uh, Quattro Scott and Powell on the road and we I did my Leather Forever Encore tour. And, and one of the reviewers said, which I made him write, he said, uh, Susie doesn't uh, – Susie embraces her age. She doesn't try to be younger than what she is. She embraces the age she is. And that's kind of kind of who I am. I'm not trying to be 26. I'm not 26. I'm proud to be 68. And I say it on stage. I say it on stage. So I think it's a big Clint Eastwood, the same as him. You just, he is exactly like me when you say his quotes. Yeah, you just keep going. And, you know, what are you going to, my attitude is, is what the hell are you going to do about it? You can't get younger. You're going to get older. So why? Worry about something you can't change. To me, it seems so stupid to have any other attitude. That's who I am. So just enjoy it. Get the most out of it, you know, and celebrate every year you come to and still in good health and still working. That's how I am. You know, all you need to do is I can't lie about it. Look at my, you know, look at Wikipedia or anything else. And yeah, that's why should I lie about it? I'm proud to be that age. I'm proud to still be out there doing what I'm doing. Like Clint Eastwood said. Say you're on the side of the stage and you're about to walk on. Eminem has Slim Shady. Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. You've said that when you walk on stage, it's a different persona or it's a different identity. When you walk into the spotlight as Susie Quattro, explain to me what is that identity? Who do you turn into? Oh, that's such a hard one. Um I, I one time uh, had footage shown to me, uh, and I knew this metamorphosis happened because you're aware of it, you know, because uh, you step across the footlights and you're into your performance. But I one time had a, um, a friend of mine from here who runs my website. He took footage of me coming off for the encore, you know, screaming, shouting crowd from the encore. I'm in the wings for a minute, in the wings for a minute. And my face, I saw my face change. From Susie Quattro, the performer, and there I am pacing backstage. The audience is going crazy. I'm going circles around, circles, circles. I look like a little girl, and then I'm ready, and I go back out, and I take step over into the footlights, and I'm her again. And it's such a strange thing to happen. I can't explain it, but you do go into the performer's side. That's how it works. You just, as soon as you take that step into the footlights, 
you're on stage. And you change into that particular part of your persona. You're the performer. And for the time you're on that stage, you owe it to the audience to be the best you can be. Michael Hutchins from In Excess, when he performed, he would never wear his contact lenses because he said he couldn't see then that meant he couldn't see the crowd which meant he couldn't see people yawning or leaving or you know oh being my distracted God, I, oh well i don't agree with that at all but uh, the question i had for you was that but what it also meant i heard him say in an interview was that he really performed only to the front few rows of the audience which made the whole thing much more intimate I'm wondering. I could, I could not. I could not agree. I could not. I could not uh, disagree more. Okay, uh, that's what I was interested in. I was wondering if there was any other a if you had any thoughts on that, and b if there were other oh, any other tricks yeah, yeah. you had for public performance. Sure, sure. Huge thoughts on that. Um, never in my entire career would I perform just to the front people in the audience. That goes against every bone in my entertainer body, every single bone. And in fact, if you come to one of my shows, you will see. How I relate to how far back they are doesn't matter. I am waving to them. I'm talking to them. Never. The first row you have anyway. They're looking up at you and they're going, you don't need to perform to them. You need to reach out to the back of the audience and get them. And that's what I always do. And it's a, it's a personal thing of mine. There's no person in that audience left untouched. I completely disagree with Michael Hutchinson's attitude on that. Completely. Susie, I'm going to stretch here a bit, but I, my, looking at you, hearing you talk, the language you use, it seems that that you are what they call a kinesthetic person, very tactile, very feeling, because I heard you say that when you're on stage, you can feel the audience. Oh, yes. When you are working with your son on this album or writing, do you hear a melody? Do you see a riff? Or is it all about the feeling you get? Because you do talk about feelings a lot. Are you a, a kinesthetic, <laughs> tactile person? I, I am very much, a, um, oh, Christ, I think emotionally I'm about six years old. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I am. I am for all my tough stance and all that. I'm a very soft person inside, which makes me a good artist. Because if, if all your emotional channels are open, then it's going to transfer to your music, you know? Um when I'm writing, it uh, doesn't matter with my son, with whoever. I did most of the songs with my son. Uh, sometimes I get a title. Often I get a title and it starts the idea for a riff. On this one, my son is very much a riff player. He's That's the kind of guitar player he is. And he would come to me with an idea for a riff. And I'd hear it and I'd go, yeah. And then that would lead me to a melody and to a title. And then it would go from there. But saying that, there's no set process on the songwriting thing, and I don't write fiction. You have to know that. I only write what I've been through. So every song on the album is something I believe and something I've been through myself. So I write I write about my own experiences, what I get from people, what they do to me, what I do to them. And uh, I always say to everybody, be careful, you might end up in a song, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's interesting about that, Susie, is that when you, I think you were doing Desert Island Discs and pretty much, Every track that you named is your favourite tracks. You named Nat King Cole, Otis Redding, Billie Holiday, and they're all beautiful melodies but very touchy-feely, very emotional songs. Do you struggle with the fact that you are very emotional with that but then you are this leather-clad rocker? Are there two parts you wrestle with? Well, i got to give you a compliment. You are really asking intelligent questions, okay? It doesn't always happen, believe me. I think that... One of the reasons, I hope, this is just my own opinion, but in answer to what you just asked me, one of the reasons I'm still around, that I've survived, I think is because there is a combination of what you just said. When I'm up on stage, even though I'm being Susie Quattro, there's a, there's a vulnerability about me and there's a sweetness. So I think there's that nice combination, the tough go with the guitar, but also you can see that I'm quite sweet. And I think this is what people have latched onto. If I was just the one-faced hard ass on the stage, that would not be so enjoyable to watch. You can see the emotion. You can see the smile coming from me, that one million percent enjoying what I do. You know, I get emotional when I sing certain songs. You know, I do Desperado at the end of my show and I'm nearly in tears. And, and yet I go out there and do 48 Crash. So it is a strange combination and it is opposite ends of the scale. But together 
when you put them all together, I guess that's where little Susie from Detroit and Susie Quattro meet in that middle of that persona and the soft girl. We meet somewhere in the middle, and that's the artist that I am. Oh. There you go. What, that was a good answer to a good question. <laughs> it was a great answer, and it leads me on to my next thought. And this is something I'm really curious about because I, I kind of I'm a fan of Detroit and the music and culture that comes out of Detroit. And something that I'm curious about is we did a little story on Jack White from the White Stripes, who also come from Detroit. Now he said he likes to make things difficult for himself and. <laughs> By making it difficult for himself, it helps him grow. And if an amp should be three steps away on the stage, he makes it four steps just to make him stretch. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. My question is, do you, as Susie, little Susie from Detroit, do you find yourself with that Detroit background almost embracing struggle, almost embracing hardship because you know deep down that's where you come from and that will help you grow? Yes, um, when I when I talk about Detroit, and I've had this discussion with a lot of other Detroit musicians, um, it is a special. There's a, there's an edge in Detroit, almost fanatical, almost uh, crazy. You know, it's it's an energy level, and um, it's a survival thing. So there is that. There is Detroit is the city of struggle. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the city of struggle. Black and white, both rich and poor, both. And if you're brought up in that city, you take that struggling attitude with you that everything's a fight. Absolutely true what you just said. Everything's a fight. Um, I have have always been the kind, and I've said it before, and I have had songs written about it before. I Walk Through the Fire With You is one of them. I believe that if there is a struggle coming, let's say there's a, I'll be an analogy, there's a fire right in front of you. I will walk right into the fire, feel the burn. Don't, don't you know, ignore it, feel it. So feel the pain, in other words, and walk out the other side and keep going. That's very much a Susie characteristic. I don't avoid it. I don't avoid it. Maybe that's Detroit. Maybe it's just Susie. I don't know. But I think that you learn immensely from your struggles. You learn. You learn. When you when you overcome it, you know, it's it's not so much the bad stuff you go through. It's what you learn from the process. You know, don't you just love it when somebody, when a friend of yours comes up and they say, for instance, oh, God, I got this boyfriend again and he's doing exactly the same. St-. And I say, well, you know what, you idiot. You haven't learned the lesson. <laughs> That's the only reason you get repeat problems is because you haven't mm. learned the lesson. So I don't ignore the problems. I go straight into them. And maybe I mess up and I make a mistake and this and that. That's fine. And then I try to learn from that, see why I made the mistake, and keep going. And that's very much me. I don't avoid anything. I wonder that's why we have trouble getting return guests on this show, Gaz. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Susie, as an artist, you said you have the ability to sense things. You just, and the words you use were, I just pick things up. And I'm, I'm really interested is for a lot of artists, being on the cover of Rolling Stone is the dream. Like that's the mecca, <laughs> particularly back in the day. Did you ever have a sense in your career that that would happen? Did you visualise that? Did you see it? Did you dream it? Or in your own gut, did you know what? It hasn't happened yet, but I reckon it will. Again, I think uh, if, if any artist that you talk to who has been successful, if they tell you anything different, I do say they're lying because, because if you – if you are a successful artist, nobody's going to tell me that you haven't had the self-belief from a very young age. I always have. I always have. It didn't take me by surprise. It made me happy as can be. But I always had the vision of where I wanted to go, and I stuck with that. And um, you need, let's put it this way, in this business, it's a business of rejection. Let's be honest. So if you haven't got that self-belief within you, the business will swallow you up. So you need a strong core of who you are and where you're going. Otherwise, you got no chance. No chance in this business. 
Was it a surprise when you got the cover? The cover of Rolling Stone, I, I just, I'm sure that was fantastic when they had, when they offered me that. Um, one of my best pictures, too. I sometimes go upstairs <laughs> in my ego room. Yeah, really. I go up in my ego room and I look at that the wall and I think to myself, I looks like that. You know, because it's such a nice picture. We all have those pictures in our life where we can go, hey, yeah, that was me. You know, wow. I don't look like that. Now I'm 68 years old. But yes, I was not pleased all, to Not all of us, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> I was pleased to sell. I was pleased to sell to get to get that cover. Absolutely, one of the highlights of my life. Who doesn't want to be on the cover of Rolling Stone? Oh, what? You know? Absolutely, yeah. Can I can I take a quick off ramp there? Can you tell us about your ego room? That intrigues me. Sure. Um, I, I do believe everybody should have one. Uh, so I did uh, some German television the other day, and he came up and filmed. This is funny. He came up and filled the ego, filmed the ego room, and he was looking around and he said, "Oh." And I said, what? And so I thought this might be narcissistic. And I said, well, you got it wrong, didn't you? I said, this is memories. And, he, you know, he, he wanted to make something fun of it. It's not like that at all. It's um, a room at the top of my house. And it's kind of an analogy, but, it, but it's the truth at the same time. You have to go up two flights of stairs. You can bang your head on the ceiling. It's a funny, crooked ceiling. And you finally get to the ego room there's a big wooden door heavy wooden door and on the wooden door it says ego room mind your head which i love i had that printed up um and 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 you go in and the walls are covered with posters there's stage passes there's videos there's cds there's scrapbooks there's a rack of old jumpsuits there's bass guitars awards everything is in this room every space is covered with Susie quattro memorabilia you go up there. Sometimes I go up, sit there, watch a video, just and remember. You remember, basically. You remember. Um, and then the important part is, is when you come out, you shut the door. That's how it is in my life. There's a door for the ego. There's a room. And I come back out. But And when I send people up there, they don't come down. They're up there for hours and hours because I guess it opens up all their memories, too, you know. So it's it's a room to go enjoy and then and then come out, and then it's reality but, time. <laughs> and you talk about it being an analogy. Is the steps the climb in life? Is the analogy that you go in there, you should be grateful for what's happened in your past, and then you close the door and move on to the future, Susie? Is is that the actual analogy you're drawing? The analogy is that the ego should be in a special place, and you don't need to wear it all the time. That's one point. Um, I mean, what, what always strikes me when I go into that room, because you can't help it, you walk in and actually the first thing that catches your eye, it's the first thing is the big red book on a white table that says, this is your life. Mm. And that's what catches my, every time I come in and that's what I think, oh my God, 55 years. And it is my life. So, um, yeah, you don't you don't need to wear it off the stage, you know, you have personal pride and everything, but as far as the ego goes, leave it in the ego room and pull it out when you need it. If we were to go in the ego room and I was to say to you, grab one item from the ego room that you showed somebody who wasn't familiar with Susie or your fabulous career to say, this this item here, in my mind, in my heart, I feel as though this is the best representation of me up to this point, which, what would you grab? I would probably grab the red book yeah, because that, that, that has got pictures in it from the, this is your life TV show. And it shows, it talks about my whole life. So if I had one item, I would say, here we are, have a look at this. This is what I've done in my life. Cause everything is in that book. You know, obviously they, mm. they celebrate your life. So everything is in there. If we talk about your writing process, Susie, and we've had some artists, and I'm really curious always about people and how they draw inspiration for what they do. The brand new album is about to be released, and there's a track on the album called Love Isn't Fair. <laughs> what I'm really curious about is I grew up with you. I mean, I, I still remember Devil Gate Drive, Can the Can. You were part of the soundtrack to my youth. and Of your youth, yeah. And it is. It is absolutely 100%. I, I told my little girl to this interview today, she's 13, I said, play it on Spotify. And I knew every lyric to every song because you were playing yeah, yeah, the sure. soundtrack. Yeah, it's your youth. Then, yeah, I put okay. on, then I put on this track, Love Isn't Fair. Yeah. Give a little piece of your heart. 
kind of reggae or, in my mind, a Tijuana feel. Like, it's so different to the leather rocker that I grew up with. Tell me about the the writing and production of a track like that where you've got this identity you've, you've come to own for the last number of decades. What's the writing process for you where you can let that go and then go into other areas? Where are you in your writing career? Um... Well, for this particular album in particular, uh, I didn't have any um, goalposts. I didn't, the whole album happened by accident. We were making a demo and all, and about three demos in, I thought, oh my God, this is getting serious. Now all of a sudden we're making an album. But um, I kept saying during the process of making this album, I want no boundaries. I want no control. That's the title of the album. I want every song to speak for itself, every song to have its own personality, which is exactly what's happened. Um, I didn't I didn't ever want to say on any song, oh, we need to write one like this or one like that. No, it didn't happen that way. So this track, by the way, a lot of people are picking this. It'll probably be the third single. I think Macho mm-hmm. Man's going to be next. And then uh, because, you know, establishes Susie. No song will control and Macho Man establish Susie. And then this third one will probably be the next one, which is Love Isn't Fair. Um, I started that song in Hamburg and I was playing my, in our Hamburg home. You know, we have a home in Hamburg and uh, cause my husband's from there and I started it with uh, a bass riff and I was just going, don't, don't, I was playing this bass riff and I thought, Ooh, that's a bit saucy. And I thought to myself, it sounds kind of Mavericks. That's what was in my head. That's the type of song it is. And I let it yeah. I let it fly out that way. So mm-hmm. with the bass riff, I just went, love isn't fair. And the whole song flew out. Flew out. Before I could even show it to anybody or share anything with it or try to write it with somebody, the whole song came flying out. And uh, from, from the inception of it, I knew that it would be a horn section song that was that was obvious you know there's never been a more horn section song you know and it's very islandy with a margarita but what i like particularly about this song it's very commercial um is that it's you're you're flying along and you're listening to it and you're oh this is pleasant and then you listen to the lyrics and you go what because i'm saying love isn't first that's this in other words i've put this very serious message into a nice pretty frame which I love doing. Your your writing process, Susie, are you a person who has a journal who's always collecting lyrics, collecting things people say, things you observe, or are you the sort of person who we interviewed Ivor Davies from Ice House, in fact, Robbo and I were talking about this before we got you on the line, that Ivor said that unless he's got a commission, unless he's got a deadline, he doesn't do any writing or putting mm. work down. Are you always on or do you need a commission? Yes. What's your writing process? No, that's that's the answer. I'm always on. Um, in fact, you know, I have a poetry book out through my eyes. That's a really naked book. You know, you have to, you have to read it. Um, I've written poetry since the age of eight and, I, and I'm very much a lyric person. Um, I am very much always on. When I'm even talking to people at this or that, I often often will say something and I go, oh, that's a good idea. And I write down a phrase or a title. I've got three already from yesterday's filming thing that I did. So I'm always on. I'm always kind of creative. I've always got my creative channels open pretty much all the time. And I'm told by other people, other writers and other artistic people that I work with, that I speak poetically. So I'm always doing phrases that are quotable. Two things wrapped up. You've also said you like your own company. So I'm curious about where that sits in your day or your week. And say you are in your own company, you are collecting, you are writing. Do you write often as little Susie from Detroit or do you have to move into your persona of Susie Quattro to write in those quiet times? It depends on the song. Um, If it's a typical Susie Quattro song like Macho Man, okay, then I just, it, it was that attitude and and I'm, I'm in that zone you know and the words came out that way and the attitude came out that way you don't get it you can't hear it you don't mean it that- 
If it's something like the heart on the line, which is very soft, that it's just acoustic guitar, then I'm, I'm very much into my poetry attitude, and it's very much emotional. So again, that attitude, that uh, response is, it depends on the song, which part of my, which part of my artistic instinct I am using. That's really good. That's that's platinum. Am I going to have to change the ID now? <laughs> yeah, um, Susie, you you talk about touring a lot, and something you said was that when you're on the road, you love being on the road because you know what you have to do. Like you don't have to think; it's the same routines day in day out. You and and being a road warrior during that time, you kind of go from city to city, town to town. You do your show. There's certain rituals and routines when you're on the road. When you're off the road at home in your own quiet time with your husband in Hamburg, are you a ritualized or routine person? I think it's difficult. I'm, I'm, I should have been in the army. And I think it's because I've, I've been in the, the business for so many years that I am used to everything running on a time scale. And I have had complaints to those closest to me that I, I can't get away from that timing thing. But um I, I am used to that where every minute of every day is assigned. You know, this is what time you wake up. Uh, this is what time you can eat. This is what time you have to leave for the airport. This is the sound check time. This is the time you're on stage. This is the time you're off. Then the next day starts. So that's what I'm used to. But private life, I think I'm only a stickler. I'm, I'm still a stickler on times. If I'm told I have to be ready at a time, I'll be ready at that time to the minute, to the minute. Uh, but I do have a switch off part. You know, i I, I watch movies and I relax at night. And then when I relax, I really relax. But, you, you know, like I said, this whole business is run on a time schedule. And that's how it is. And and it's hard to take that out of you. Yeah. Let's say when I'm off the road, it's hard for me not to, you know, oh, what do I have to do today? Oh, nothing. You know, so it's hard. It's hard to be relaxed when you're used to being on all the time. But I do try. Two more things before I hand you to Robbo, if we're okay, okay for time. Two more quick things to ask you about. Okay. One is you are a doctor. And I, 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 yes. I love the sound of this, Susie. Dr. Quattro. Dr. Quattro is ready to see you. <laughs> I reckon that's so cool. However, <laughs> what's interesting about being Dr. Quattro is that you never even graduated high school. With that in mind, and I, I suspect you're terribly proud of that, what's the message for kids and their parents. First of all, I have said for a long time that it's a shame at school, for instance, that they don't applaud and encourage youngsters, even if they're different. You know, it seems to me that they try to they try to make you fit into a into a hole with everybody else, and that's not always the best way. I mean, for instance, all my school reports when I was growing up. And they give you a report at the end of the year. They pretty much always said the same thing. They said things like, uh, if Susie would apply herself to her studies, she would do very well. She should stop trying to be so popular. And it's so funny because that's exactly my life, isn't it? To try to be popular, you know? So what they should have done was encourage that part of me and find out how they could apply it to my studies. That would have been the smart thing to do. Um, I said in my speech when I became a doctor that there's a, a little light that we all have, and it doesn't matter if you're a housewife or a butcher or whatever you are, it doesn't matter. We have a little light in us, and we should find that light, switch it on, let nobody switch it off. That's my advice in life to everybody. Find your light that belongs to you. Back to the same beginning of this conversation. That's your light. That's your light. You have the right to that light, whatever it may be. And everybody has something. Everybody has something special in them, whatever it may be. Some are, are applauded by the public and some are not. It doesn't matter. Everybody is special. It's interesting, Susie, when you look into your career, there's obviously an amazing music as an artist and performer career. There's your poetry and then there's the acting side. And what yes. is interesting, which sort of feeds off what you just said about school, is that you were told that you had a natural talent for doing it and don't take acting lessons. How did that comment impact you, like your beliefs about yourself and your acting career? It's quite odd because we're told to, to be the best you can be, yet someone said who you respected said, no, 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 don't take acting lessons. Yeah, that was Ron Howard. Um, I'll never forget that, actually. Never forget that. We were on the set 
you know, and he and he said to me, from out of nowhere, don't ever take acting lessons. And I said, pardon? I said, why? And he said, because you're a natural. He said, if you take lessons, it's going to mess up what you have. I thought, what a wonderful thing to say to me. He had to enforce my view on myself that whatever I do have, whatever that may be, it's a natural thing with me and I shouldn't mess with it. And I try not to. I try not to. Everything I do is instinctive. Speaking of instinct, if there was a song off this new album, No Control, which is out 29th of March, if there was a song off the album that you are most proud of, that when oh, you that's a hard one. Or, oh. Well, and I'm going to phrase Jeez. it around. I want to know the song that you feel as a as a kinesthetic person, and this is special for you because it was done with your son. What's the yes. song that you feel in your soul and go, "Yep, that's that's good." Okay, I'm proud of that. Okay, I'd have to say the one that the the way you asked the question, I'd have to say the song that meant the most to me emotionally, that I had a hard time doing the vocal. I was a little bit teary-eyed, and I didn't stop the vocal. I let it come out on the track. I thought, no, no, this is what's happening. Don't, you know, don't pretend it's really? not happening. And let it, yeah, it was a hard on the line. It's the bonus track, hard on the line. Um, and that, that's coming out on the album. You'll have to get a hold of that if you haven't got it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, just, okay. it's, just, it's just me on acoustic guitar, and it's me completely naked. You know, I've never been more raw. Can we play some of that now? Just a minute. And it was mad on the line. It was mad all the time. All those dreams I thought were mine. Miles away, miles away. Robbo's Nifty 90. So, Susie, we're very mindful of your time. Very quickly, I need 90 seconds with the big man, big man here in the studio to run the Nifty 90. <laughs> Robbo? I'm a bit nervous. Nifty 90 with Susie Quattro and Leather Tuscadero. I'm not oh, quite sure. Come on. So good. <laughs> All right, shall we start the clock? Susie, are you ready? We're ready. ready. All right, here we go. What's your favourite pizza topping? Oh, uh, margarita with uh, pepperoni. The last book you read? Uh, that would be the Ted Bundy story. I've read it for the fifth time now. Um, what's your favourite place to be in the world and why? Home in, in England because it's my sanctuary. Um, I've been there since 1980 and it's, it's safe and it's secure and it's quiet. Well, I hate to burn it down, but the next question does that. <laughs> Presuming your family are all safe. Um, but your house is burning down, what are the three things that you would grab to take with you? Oh, wow. My lyric book, my scrapple game, and my bass. <laughs> no. Oh, that's so the most good. important one, I would presume. So um, <laughs> what's the best way to spend a Saturday night for Susie Quattro? Oh, a good bottle of old red wine and a movie depending on your mood. And the best piece of advice you'd give to a young aspiring songwriter? Always write the truth. Uh, your favourite treat, Oreos or bacon? Oh, that's a tough one. Bacon, because it's American. What's the best thing about being Susie Quattro? And I, and let's talk about little Susie. Little Susie um, is that I enjoy life so much and I am grateful for life. Susie Quattro, um, I, I love the love I receive. What's the last song that you got stuck in your head? Oh, God. I like the Ed Sheeran one. We found love just right where we are. I can't remember the title, but that's just a great song. Um, what's something you need to stop doing? Being impatient, but I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a Gemini trait because I'm the same. Yeah, um, it, oh, I'm the terrible. terrible. What, what's the last movie you watched? Uh, last night, From Here to Eternity. Three words that would decide, describe you. Communication, creative and entertaining. Okay, and here's the big question. You're in the limo on your way to the gig and Susie Quattro is not feeling it tonight. She's just not up for the gig. What's the song you lean forward to the limo driver and ask him to put on the, uh, on the radio in the car? Oh, there's no business like show business. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Didn't even have to think about that. I didn't have to feel. think about that. 
There's no business like show business like no business I know. Thank you for joining us. I've got to say. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. It's been a real honour. Thank you. The Mojo Radio Show. (laughs) We don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. Well, I can tick one thing off my list. My teenage crush from around the ages of 11, 12, 13, I have now officially e-met. Leather Tuscadero, i got to tell you, she was, uh, she was it for me when I was about that age. Well, it's funny, I'm going to digress here slightly. The same era, I remember the same time as 48 Crash and Devil Gate Drive, I remember then growing into Bohemian Rhapsody and Queen and I distinctly mm-hmm. remember my neighbour who I could see out my, I could see his bedroom out my window mm. and he used to have those purple lights that you put in the ceiling mm. that made those posters, those fluorescent posters glow. Do you mm. remember that era? Yeah, yeah, I do. And he would crank Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, the reason I bring it up is because I went to see the movie on the weekend. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it, no. It is insanely good. Mm. Yeah, you were saying the that off there. acting, oh, the the guy who played, the young guy who played uh, Freddie Mercury is amazing. Of mm. course, the the story, I don't know, I just, I just don't think we gave Queen enough credit for their experimentation. And... This is a short clip from the movie that I thought we'd play. And there's two, two key bits that really stand out for me. Lola, can you play the Bohemian Rhapsody clip, please? Playing that now. We sold out every pub and uni south of Glasgow and I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere eating a ham sandwich. Trouble is, we're just not thinking big enough. What have you got in mind, Fred? An album. We can't afford an album. Oh, we'll find a way. How much do you think we can get for this van? I hope you're joking. That's three months' wages. And a perfectly good van. Don't be so dramatic, darling. You're recording an album tonight. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like shit? No, it's good. Can we try it again? Sure, yep. Sure, it's it's your money. Literally. You Sounds a lot better. We need to get experimental. Try bouncing us left and right for the R's. Now dead centre for the last. Then blast it! <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, these kids in the box. Uh, student band doing some weird stuff. How about demos? You got some? Oh, been up all night, mate. The thing that for me, there's two things with that clip that I think Freddie Mercury absolutely nailed, which is why he's such a great rock icon. And I hope he gets, may he rest in peace, but I hope he gets a lot more credit than he probably got when he was alive, when a lot more people probably even from outside the rock industry or rock lovers got to appreciate. But here he was, the first thing he said is, we're not thinking big enough. And Freddie was a guy who dreamed big. And if there's one thing that we probably have with our dreams is we don't trust ourselves to dream bigger. And we dream of what we think we can do as opposed to what we want to do. And then the second thing, which I think something we've adopted here in the studio is just experimentation. That that bit where... There's a guy walks in the studio and the record producer says, you know, who are these guys? And he said, it's a new young band and they're doing all these weird things in the studio, which (laughs) you'll hear. To to put Bohemian Rhapsody into context, that came from a piece of opera that he played to the record executive played by Mike Myers. And the record executive said, you can never make opera work. Now, Hmm. you'd have to say that a six-minute song that incorporates opera into it has become one of the greatest rock anthems of all time. Don't you reckon? Absolutely. And became a hit at a time where anything more than three, three minutes wasn't even played on the radio because it was deemed too long. Yet they couldn't ignore it when it went, to, when it went so high on the charts. That's right. And, and I just challenge any of us listening is to sit down and look at our future and say, 
are you dreaming big enough? If you could double or put a zero on the end of whatever it is you're, you're dreaming of, what would it look like? And then start today with the smallest possible piece. Sell your van <laughs> to get enough cash <laughs> to go into the studio. That's how it started. Yeah. And then the second piece is your experiment. Take any, any piece of your company, any piece of your life, and say if you experiment with the view that you could not fail but in doing that, you step away from the crowd. Honestly, that movie is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it showed his his genius. It showed his flaws. It showed him finally being grateful for what had what he had around him. I uh, I love that. I haven't stopped playing uh, Radio Gaga since I, since I finished <laughs> watching the movie. It's fantastic. Do you know the other interesting thing that I take from from all of this is uh, I took the boys out to a movie yesterday. And we were sitting around having lunch before the movie and Liam started talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, he hasn't seen the movie, but his mates have. But it's got them into Queen's music. He was sitting there, he was reciting lyrics, he was telling me stories about things that they did in the studio, telling me stories about Freddie Mercury. And I think the other interesting thing that's going to come out of this movie is it's actually going to make the band and their legacy live well into the next generation now. I think that's a really interesting thing. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, we had a guest, Warren Berger, just last week and at the end of the show he said that he'd seen the movie and he'd had a new love and appreciation of mm-hmm. Queen. So That's I think right. you're right. Yeah. So maybe we should throw this to Lola for the playout song. Mm-hmm. Lola, cue up Queen and your favourite Queen song. What about this? Right.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.